listening to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today I have the great joy of bringing you the story of a wonderful missionary serving in West Africa. With me in studio today is Valerie Stonebreaker, who serves as a career missionary in Togo. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. So you've been in the mission field for quite some time, is that correct? Yeah, quite some time, almost 20 years now. Wow. Wow. So tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your, your background and, and what led to, to uh, going into the mission field to begin with. Well, I was a primary school teacher in a Lutheran school for a while. And when we took chapel money, quite often we supported missionaries. I guess God kind of worked in my life all, all during my childhood. I read about the missionaries and everything and just, just kept working and kept working. I I think the final thing that, that made me go is I was doing a Bible study, um, Life Light Bible study on the book of Acts mm-hmm. and read about Jesus sending his disciples. And I decided I had to act. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how long ago was that? Oh, well, since I went to, to- Togo at the end of 1997, it was probably 1996, 1995, wow. you know, yeah. a while. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah. been, it's been this, this journey for you yes. over yeah. a number of years. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so you've been in, in Togo uh, for the last 20 years then? Yes. Uh-huh. I arrived in, in Dapong, where I live now, January 1st, 1998. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so Togo has a, a special place in your Sto- home. <laughs> Togo is home. <laughs> Togo is home. Why why do you love it so much? Oh, <laughs> I went over to teach missionary kids. There were three families there, and I taught all their kids. Families left, other families came. I began to, or I started teaching English in the high school and working with the church leaders, translating, working with the youth in the church. And you, you start building relationships. Mm-hmm. Since I'm single, I don't have a husband or children of my own, and these people became my family. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's like the family of God. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That's it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, how, has, how has life changed in Togo over the last 20 years? When I first arrived in Togo, there are a lot of bicycles. Mm-hmm. The phones that were there were mostly fixed phones, land phones. But now there are so many motorcycles, <laughs> and almost everybody in town, at least, has a cell phone. Out in the villages, it's still a little more difficult, but there are, are cell phones because there are telephone antennas. So telephone communication is getting much easier. The motorcycles, it's simply because Dubai motorcycles are cheaper now than they were before, and it's a quicker form of of transportation mm-hmm. the roads are still bad they're getting better <laughs> but they're still bad so what is what is life like for you in in Dapong and you actually live in in the town there yes I live in Dapong I've got uh, a little cement block house with a tin roof so when it rains it makes a lot of noise <laughs> when I the day before no the week before I came back on furlough we had a bad windstorm and rainstorm and during the night I thought gone on you know and I got up and the wind had it hadn't lifted the the toll the tin off my roof but it had blown blown the ceiling down (sighs) so when I left the carpenter was fixing the the ceiling in my bedroom (laughs) (laughs) so I'm not sure what's gonna gonna be like when I go back Mm -hmm. but um I I live a very simple lifestyle I don't have running water in my house I have to go fetch water 
I have electricity, but it's not strong enough so that I can have a refrigerator. Mm. So I, I, you know, I go to the market frequently. I have kids around me most all the time. So, mm-hmm. so you don't have running water. No. Um, so, so how do you go about getting water? <laughs> Is that that's a daily thing then? Yeah. Well, I have six large plastic jugs. They are twenty-five liters a piece. And now that I have a car, I can put them in. I have a RAV4, so I can put them in at the back of my car, and I take one of the kids lives with me, and we go to the pump, fill them. I can't lift them to put them in the car. Mm-hmm. They're too heavy when they're filled up. And go back home, and then the kids help me get them into my car or get them from the car into my house. And from there, I dump them into a big, it's like a plastic garbage barrel, you know, but mm-hmm. I just dump them in and dip dip the water out to use it. Mm-hmm. During rainy season, I have a water barrel, and the the fellow that lives next to me is a carpenter, and he took parts scraps of the tin roof and made like gutters mm-hmm. so that the rain water goes into my rain barrel and I can use that for laundry and for showers. Sure, sure. And so so laundry is not how, how we in the mm-hmm. U.S. <laughs> experience laundry. It's a very different thing. Right. It's done. I do it by hand in wash basins. Mm-hmm. A wash basin and a rinse basin and I hang it on the line. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. One, one of my treats when I come back is using a washing machine. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I can imagine. Um, I, I do have to say, though, hanging laundry outside is one of the simplest joys in life. Mm-hmm. I think growing up, we always used a dryer yes. just because because that's what we did. But uh, after I was married and we visited my, my uh, husband's uh, family in Kansas mm-hmm. and we hung the laundry out and it's, I have never smelled laundry that, that smelled yeah. that good. I, I love to clean up. Get into bed on clean sheets. Uh-huh. And I just come from the line. Yes, oh, it smells so wonderful. good. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. then, uh, um, cooking. How do you, how do you cook your food then? I have a, a gas stove top, mm-hmm. and I use a bottled gas, propane mm-hmm. gas. So I, I can cook like that. The the Togolese people, most of them use charcoal, which they have to make the charcoal before they can use it to cook. So they go out and gather wood and bury it under the sand and burn it like that under the, you know, enclosed. Mm-hmm. And they, they have charcoal mm-hmm. or just wood. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you were telling me a story um, before we were on air of, of what it, what it's like for um, the Togolese to have food during the day. You don't just Mm-mm. go to a market and buy something you can put in the microwave. It's a very different experience. <laughs> <laughs> the The main food in Togo is corn pot, or in the northern part of Togo where I live, which is like corn flour boiled in water until it's a stiff paste. And mm-hmm. then they make a sauce or make sauces of whatever they can find, leaves. They use um, okra, mm-hmm. gumbo, baobab leaves, all sorts of different kinds of leaves. And if there's money to buy dried fish to get a little bit of protein in there, then mm-hmm. that that's good. Tomatoes, everything has hot peppers in it. Mm-hmm. It's spicy. And you just dip your fingers and take a, a piece of pot and then dip it in the sauce. But to get the corn, you have to cultivate the corn. And there's no tractors. Mm-hmm. If you have a cow, then you're well off to pull a plow. But a lot of times it's just with a handheld hoe. Cultivated, weeded, harvested from beginning to end, it's all done by hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and Togo is is part of Francophone Africa. Yes. So, so the the major language is is French. Then, yes, the the national language is French. It's the the governmental language, but each ethnic group has their language, 
And within each ethnic group, there are many, many different dialects of that language. So there's many, many languages in Togo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, and you, um, you were saying earlier also that, um, that each village essentially has its own right. dialect. Its own dialect, its own way of pronouncing, its own inflection of how, how things are said. Usually within the same language group, the different villages, they understand each other, but then the way they express themselves, you can tell where people come from by the mm-hmm. way they express themselves. Mm-hmm. And these aren't um, these aren't typically written languages either. No, many uh, many of the village languages are unwritten. And when you, when it comes to the point of trying to teach literacy, well, then you have to decide what is the way to say it, what is the way to write it, mm-hmm. that is the most generally accepted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of, of teaching literacy, one of the big projects that you uh, that you work with, mm-hmm. with is the the MOBA uh, Women's Literacy Project. Yes. Is that correct. Mm-hmm. So, how did that project? How did that begin? Well, the Lutheran Church came into Togo through Walt Dimas, who was working with Lutheran Bible translators. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when he came over, and he worked with the the MOBA people, but he worked with the MOBA Lok people, which are to the west, and the MOBA people go across the northern Ghana and northern Togo. The governments, or the political boundaries, are north and south, Mm -hmm. but the ethnic boundaries go east and west. And so he came over across into Togo and started the Lutheran Church, and so the Lutheran Church is now mostly among the MOBA people. Well, the MOBA people in Dapong, which is where I live, are the MOBA Ben people, and their dialect is different than the Mobilok. Wycliffe has come in, and the Ben Bible has been printed for quite some time, but the Mobilok, just recently, do we have the New Testament, mm-hmm. but no one can read it. Mm-hmm. And so now, in order to encourage people, to enable them to be able to read the Bible in their own language, we have to teach them how to read. Sure, sure. And, and because it's because it's it's uh, an, an orally learned language, uh, what is the process for actually teaching people how to read? Well, first we have to decide how we're going to say and, and write the word, but then when we start teaching the people, we have to teach them that a letter makes a sound and the sounds together make a word and the word has the meaning. Mm-hmm. And so many of these women who have never been to school, who don't know how to hold a pencil, first we have to teach them how to find motor control, you know, when you start teaching a little child here in the States how to write. So these are are grown women who might have be carrying children on their back or nursing a a child and trying to learn to write on a a little chalkboard. So it begins at the very, very beginning. And then saying, dictating a word, you know, you say a word and to... What sound makes that, or what letter makes that sound that I'm hearing that I need to write down? How do I write that letter? It's a it's a long process. Sure, sure. And and so they they have to learn the written, and they also have to learn the the oral or the um, how to actually read it and mm-hmm. how to write it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that that we don't um, in the U.S. You know, we learn that as as little little kids. We don't we don't remember. No, here in the United States, you you go down the road and all the billboards, you know, everything, you go to the store, everything is in print. Mm-hmm. In Togo, there's no billboards out in the villages. There's no stores where anything is written down, you know. The written word is not really a part of their culture mm-hmm. from the past. And so to bring something in, even even in the public schools, there are no school books most of the time. The teacher 
put something on the board and the kids have to copy it. So mm-hmm. books, the printed word is not so much of their culture as it is here in the States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's so it's so critically important so that they can they right. can read their Bibles. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And as I was talking with uh, Pastor McMiller, he asked me why the students at the Clet want to learn English. Well, it's because there's much more in, printed in English for theology, for Christian doctrine, for Lutheran doctrine, than there is in French. Mm-hmm. So they want to learn to English so they can read. Sure, sure. Yeah, the the resources are very few in in French. French. Mm-hmm. 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 So uh, that's that's another thing that, that you're involved in is uh, is tutoring the the Clet students um, and in in English. Then, well, I did that in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the boys that I taught when he was a high school student. Is teaching. He's he's an English teacher, so he has taken over teaching English at oh, the Clet. That's really cool. Yeah, wow. I'm excited. That that is that that life cycle is uh-huh. is really amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, are you are you involved much at all at the seminary then? Not any longer since okay. Micah and Jacob are there. That's true. You know, mm-hmm. I say okay, and Robin is there. She can work more with the women when she's able. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone and I do much more work with the church now. Okay. Okay. And so um, this this literacy project is one part, but then you do a lot of work with uh, the children too. Mm-hmm. I work with um, Lead a Child CCCS. We have a project. I, well, before I taught English when I was a volunteer missionary in the past and have this relationship with the high school kids. Mm-hmm. So even now that I don't go into the schools because of the, the political climate with the teachers and the, the government. Mm-hmm. Kids come to my house to teach English. But our CCCS project out in the school is to bring religious education. And we, we work in a public school, but we are able to, to bring Christian doctrine into the Lutheran school. And with that, I get to work with the kids, kids who now are coming into town to go to high school, stay in my house, you mm-hmm. know, and I help them with English, but also just to have a safe place for them to stay where there is electricity. They have a, a latrine, a, an outhouse that is enclosed so they don't have to go out in the bush. You know, all of these things. And it gives them a place where they can live safely and study. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about some of some of the children that, that you work with. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> where should I start? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, uh, Talata. Mm-hmm. T- Talata is the younger sister of a young man that I, I really kind of call it my son. I'll talk about him later. But Talata mm-hmm. came, um, her father died. Well, I'll, first off, let me say polygamy is still practiced mm-hmm. in, in Togo. And, and so Talata's father died when she was very young and her mother remarried. And she, so she and Azuma, this other boy, have different fathers but the same mother. But Azuma wanted her to come into town because girls quite often get pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, as they get older, so they get pregnant even when they're in junior high school. He brought her into town so she could finish high, junior high and go on to high school. And this year she was like a senior, we call it terminal, and so hoping that she could get through high school. She's 24 or 25 now. Mm-hmm. And she was doing very, very well. And I kept saying, Talata, you know, don't get pregnant. <laughs> Wait, or if you do find the fellow that you think you want to marry, then that's fine. I know what it is to be single. Just let us know and we'll do things properly. Well, she didn't. 
and she had a little girl, a little boy just before I came back to the States. But I was so proud of her because she and her husband, they started to have pre- go for the prenatal visits mm-hmm. before she even confessed to us that she was pregnant, you uh-huh. know. So it was a disappointment, but yet it made me proud that they were willing enough to go ahead and do this. And, you know, her husband is taking care of her. And their marriage, to have a marriage is very costly. Mm-hmm. But if it's an agreement, if the fellow goes and talks to the parents of the girl, then that's traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it goes on like that until the fellow saves up enough money to pay the dowry because the dowry still stands in mm-hmm. Togo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's an old, very different mm-hmm. than, than here in the States. Mm-hmm. Azuma is one of the boys that I started working with when he was like a, a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I've worked with him, finished high school, university, second time through because it's so difficult for young people to get jobs if they don't have a relationship with someone who's already got a position. Mm-hmm. But Azuma is the director of our CCCS project, and so he knows what it is to struggle. So he he has struggled, but he's helping other kids so that perhaps they don't have to struggle as much. So mm-hmm. these kids that are at my house, I've got Talata. Denny, who's another girl, and we got her into a government program in agriculture because academic school was not going for her. Mm-hmm. Her younger brother, Sambian, is with me now. Sambian's mother died right after he was born. Mm-hmm. And so his father's other mother took care of him. Miri Bay, uh, he's... He's doing pretty well. He's got both of his own parents, you know, so things are going pretty well for him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you see the struggles that these kids go through. So I've, I've got those kids, high school kids, and then but there's also a family living with me. Namisub is a carpenter, but to find the pay, you know, he I don't think he mm-hmm. got beyond first or second grade. Mm-hmm. And his wife, they have four children now, you know, and they all live in one room. Wow. One room in my house, mm-hmm. in my compound, I mm-hmm. should say. So, and now their kids, the oldest one is like in fifth grade. It's like now I'm starting to help, the, you know, the little ones. Mm-hmm. The, I was, Emmanuel is in kindergarten, and oh, just to see that kid. Mm-hmm. I have friends here in the States who send me puzzles and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, those kinds of things are not available in Togo, but sure. to see fine motor ability developing and trying to teach them how to use scissors and all of these things that we just take for granted. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and these these children and the, these families become become your family right. then. Uh-huh. And and the same thing um with with the pastors in the area. Mm-hmm. When I went back in 2011, there were no other missionaries in Dapong in the area, no other Americans and these these pastors became my family, mm-hmm. you know, and even now, when I when I have a problem or I am troubled, I go to Remy. He's my pastor, you know. Or when the president or Remy or any of the others have a problem, they'll come to me. We, we are family. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, sure. Tell me a little bit more about about those pastors. All of the pastors are are farmers. Mm-hmm. They need to grow food. They don't get salaries, or if they do get a salary, it might be enough to to buy a couple of liters of gas for their moto, if they have a moto. Many of them don't have motorcycles either. Mm-hmm. So they have to work the fields as well as be pastors. None of the pastors there in the north have gone beyond junior high school in 
regular education, but they've gone to the seminary, so mm-hmm. they are ordained pastors. They work hard, very, very hard. And the struggle just to to keep life going on, to support their families, and also be a pastor, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult. Now there are several pastors whose children have gone through high school and are now at the university. And I am very excited for that, you know, to see that our own Lutherans are now being able to to go a little higher with their education is very exciting. Sure, sure. And and so the pastors, that's that's something that's I think unusual to a lot of people in the states. The pastors, that's that's not their employment really for <laughs> for how they how they survive. Mm-hmm. It's they they're pastors to their congregations, but mm-hmm. they still have to support their they, families. They have to support their families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, even the president, President Lambon, is not a. a the pastor of a church. He does not have a congregation because he has enough responsibilities being president of the mm-hmm. church. But there are many times when he has to, to go visit a church or take care of a problem somewhere or attend a meeting, and he will have to, to sell some of the corn that he had raised for food or sell a couple of chickens or a goat to have enough money to put gas in his motorcycle mm-hmm. to, to make the trip. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle. What other kinds of projects are you able to help with? Many, well, working with LCMS, all of their projects, their requests, their reports have to be in English. So at times I'm helping with the translation process. Mm -hmm. Larry, who's the secretary, can speak English, but at times he's here or there or someplace else. Mm -hmm. And before he finished his education, I was the one that did the translating. So a lot of that, a lot of times they will come to me simply to ask if I can help them make contact with a certain person or who can they contact about this or what kind of a project can we do to to meet this need. Just all of these communication difficulties. I, I have my computer. I can connect to the Internet. The pastors don't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, President Lamboni has a computer, but you have to pay, you have to have credit in order to connect and he doesn't have the money, you know, uh, to do the connection. Mm-hmm. So... All of those kinds of things. When when other people, like Americans, come to me with an idea, and I can present that to the church, how can we deal with this? You know, is this a possible project? Many of these just relationship projects or sure. problems, I can help them them deal with. There, there are ideas. You know, how can we develop this? Like the school, I was talking to Pastor McMillar about having a Lutheran school. Mm-hmm projects for motos for the pastors, mm-hmm. our literacy project to keep on funding that. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, you you, uh, you help where you're needed. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a wonderful thing. And I think just to have a relationship, a close relationship with, with these people, you know, to, to show them that they are worth, you know, mm-hmm. it's important. Our relationships, you know, even Americans, you have friends, you, those people that care for you and you know they it's important. Yes, definitely. And uh, and we're, we're all out of time. So thank you, Valerie, so much for, for being my guest today. Thank you. My guest in studio today is Valerie Stonebreaker. And you can read her story and find out how to support her at lcms.org slash stonebreaker. To learn how you can serve as a missionary, you can go to lcms.org slash service. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.